Welcome to another episode of Detached Head. I'm Dewey. I'm Drew. Today we're going to be uh, doing a little bit of question and answer. All right. Uh, we're coming to you from uh, Seaside Vista in the beautiful Amber region of Middle California. <laughs> Is Middle California a real location? Uh, yeah, because that's where we are. That's where I bought my plane ticket to. Oh, okay. And that's where I rented this Airbnb. <laughs> uh, all right. We uh, submitted a little uh, form to uh, the various circles of developers that we know. Uh, I mistakenly put mine on Facebook, and uh, <laughs> my family asked a bunch of weird questions. Uh, but we're going to go through uh, not all of the questions, but the ones that we uh, want and have answers to, to make us seem as intelligent as possible. Yeah. Um, okay, the first question is, how do you learn a new language, like Ruby? That's a good question. All right, second question. <laughs> do we want to uh, add? Go ahead. <laughs> I thought we would list all the questions and then list all the answers. <laughs> In random order? Yeah. Uh, okay, how do you learn a new language uh, like Ruby? Uh, first off, I don't know how you learn Ruby because I don't know it. Um, I know Ruby on but, Rails. Ooh, nice. All right, how did you learn Ruby on Rails? So me and one other developer at the time were thrown into the middle of the project and... Uh, the client really, really wanted their product written in Ruby on Rails. And they, as far as I understood, they didn't let us choose at all, so we had no say. So we just had to straight up learn it uh, right away. The first developer on it, he knew way more than I did. Um, but honestly, and I think this is the case with any language, the way you're going to learn it easiest is to just start writing it. Uh, you have to make mistakes and all types of stuff, but Personally, I wouldn't get started with a book. I wouldn't get started with a blog. I would just start looking at the docs, although Ruby on Rails doesn't have the greatest docs. Uh, at least it didn't at the time. But yeah, just just start writing in the language that you want to learn. I think that's the fastest way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just started a, a new job. Well, I guess not just. Uh, I've switched jobs various times. Uh, many times. Um, and while I didn't have to learn a new language, uh, technically with my new job, I've switched from JavaScript to TypeScript. And before I started, I spent, um, I don't know, a month or two weeks, uh, you know, watching YouTube videos and reading articles and, uh, you know, reading all this stuff about how to switch from JavaScript to TypeScript and what are the differences and what's this and what's that. Yeah. And I feel like from an academic standpoint, I sort of had some of the bullet points down. I got some of the ideas down. But when it came to the first day on the job, when I started writing TypeScript, I couldn't recall essentially anything I had learned. <laughs> uh, because you just don't really have that built-in muscle memory from just reading something. Uh, from just having sort of the academic, uh, yeah, the the academic feel for it. So only in actually building real solutions, even if they had said, "Hey, build a demo app, build a Hello World app," yeah, I could have learned the very basics of TypeScript. 
but I couldn't really learn uh, Angular 5 or TypeScript without having a real problem to solve. Yeah. As soon as I had an actual use case, an actual put a widget on the screen that when clicked does X, until I actually had that sitting in front of me, I couldn't really start to learn it. Yeah. Uh, I You brought up YouTube briefly. I So just my two cents on this. Uh, don't spend money if there's other options out there that are good enough for you. If you find a website that says, hey, you can get this $200 package of web developer essentials for just 30 bucks, chances are all of that content you can find for free. There's free code camp, uh, YouTube videos, again, like you said. Uh, there's just, there's a lot of great resources out there that are free. There's nothing wrong with spending money to learn stuff, but check check around first. Yeah, in the last uh, three days, I've been doing a little bit of Canvas stuff. I'm not super familiar with it. So I jump on YouTube. I just get on Google. I say, you know, I want to do this thing in Canvas. And almost assuredly, someone has a YouTube video where they're explaining how to do some principle of Canvas. Yeah. Or there's some blog post that's doing something at least relevantly, you know, sort of uh, perpendicular to what I'm trying to accomplish. So I can at least read through that to get a better idea. Yeah. I think all of the free resources are uh, incredibly helpful, especially YouTube uh, and especially like amateur blogs. Yeah. Uh, um. So I I agree. I I think uh, jumping into something like, uh, you know, a PHP code camp as a first step. um, I don't know. I'm sort of a self-learner. I would rather learn myself than have someone explain it to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think anyone can still go through these like YouTube tutorials and learn something, even if you don't consider yourself like self-taught. Yeah. Yeah, you just, you ultimately, however you learn, I think it's you just got to get your hands dirty. Yeah, I think an important part about it is uh, don't say, well, after I've watched so and so's you know seven part YouTube series on making widgets in React, then I will start writing React. I think the best thing you can do is come up with a real-world solution you can try and build in React, even if you're just rebuilding something you've already done. Let's say uh, in your professional life you're building something using AngularJS or, uh, heaven forbid, jQuery or whatever you're building it in. Take something you've actually done professionally and make a version of it in React or Angular or uh, Vue, whatever you're trying to do. Um. Honestly, I think the best thing that I ever read was a sentence when I was in college that was, Java is to JavaScript as car is to carpet. That's probably the greatest (laughs) lesson anybody can learn. Uh, Should we go to the next question? Yeah. Okay. I'll read this one. Uh, If you could change one thing in the language you love most, what would you change and why? Go for it. <laughs> uh, this this one, it really hurts me and it makes me sad. Mm. So the language I love most is JavaScript. Shocker. I remember uh, writing my very first uh, real single-page app in Backbone and Handlebars, all in JavaScript, and just loving the flexibility the language had, 
I loved, uh, you know, higher order functions. I loved being able to do fancy things like closures. I just, I love JavaScript. Mm-hmm. But at the time, especially, it was reviled. Everybody on my team, the six other developers, just spoke with such disdain towards JavaScript. Because, I mean, JavaScript is goofy. I mean, if you don't believe me, go Google it. JavaScript is a weird language. I wish that uh, instead of in the last six years, I wish over the last 20 years somebody uh, had loved JavaScript. I wish somebody had uh, taken care of JavaScript. You know, we went years without major language updates. Mm -hmm. uh, And it makes me really, really sad. So the thing that I like most about JavaScript is all of the changes that have come in ES5, ES6, and ES7. So I think the thing that I I would change is that I wish that same cadence of improvements to the language had been coming, you know, since it was created. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's see. When I was younger, so I was probably 12 to 15, something, something in there. I started out... Uh, I knew HTML, I knew CSS, but as far as a programming language, uh, ActionScript in Flash was probably my first language that I uh, tried to learn. I was able to make some neat things, uh, and then I wasted money buying Flash um, because Flash is is a horrible thing now. <laughs> and my brother was telling me I should check out jQuery. And so, honestly, I learned pretty much uh, all of what I know from I got I got a head start with with jQuery so if I could change something <laughs> it would be that I wish I could have learned JavaScript I wish that it was more popular also so kind of like what you were saying Dewey I wish it was the more popular thing back then so I wouldn't have I mean there's nothing wrong and a lot of developers learn with jQuery first but I feel like it kind of gives you a handicap because uh there at least it used to give you a handicap because when you would move to vanilla javascript after using jquery you'd be missing a ton of you know helper functions that were awesome nowadays you don't have to worry about that so much because vanilla javascript just does just does the magic for you but i, I think like you do i wish that javascript was as cool as jquery was i think that would have that would have been great so that's a good question Uh, next question? Uh, yeah, I think I'm ready to move on. Okay. Uh, has reusing code been worth it to you? Have you ever seen it go horribly wrong? Can, is that even possible? Can you reuse code? <laughs> Does uh, joke. Not as far as Does I'm aware, all code is disposable. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, this is such an interesting, interesting, interesting principle. So, uh, you sound so professional, uh, <laughs> because I use the word principle yeah, and interesting, <laughs> you know, we talk about dry a lot. If you go and look up, you know, like basics of programming or basics of software engineering, you'll see uh, dry. Don't repeat yourself like a hundred thousand times. Yeah. The thing they will say over and over and over is don't repeat yourself. Which in itself is sort of ironic. Um, and while that is true, like most good code is built on frameworks 
and frameworks are doing this exact thing. They're saying, well, here's a task you have to do a hundred bajillion times in your code, templating or two-way binding or event handling or data fetching. And they're saying, hey, why uh, why write a, a, a fetch request by hand every time? Instead, we will have a helper library that wraps that or whatever. So that's the principle of dry. It's the idea that, uh, yeah, code can be abstracted uh, and uh, generalized in a way that you can reuse it. Yeah. That being said, um, if you're going to write something like uh, underscore that's going to be used a bajillion times, then, yeah, it's absolutely worth uh, not repeating yourself, uh, building abstractions, building in uh, layers to uh, prevent code reuse. Uh, it helps uh, get rid of bugs. It helps with maintenance. But I think there's this tendency. Um, Randall Monroe, the creator of XKCD, uh, makes a really good point. Uh, there's a comic where he talks about, uh, will you pass me the salt? And, you know, time goes by, time goes by. Mm. And he says, will you pass me the salt? And he says, yeah, just a second. I'm designing a system to pass you arbitrary condiments. <laughs> and it will save time in the long run. I think this is the problem with code reuse. Yeah. Yes, code reuse is good, but if you take every component you write for your application, every button, every widget, every hoo-ha or doodad, and you say, we're going to generalize this so that you can configure every little piece of it, and you can uh, you know, call any sort of API, and you can use it in every kind of environment, yes, that could potentially be good if it's going to be used in that way. But when you're initially writing it for your app, it's likely that you're the only person using it. Yeah. So in my opinion, um, and I learned this from my last manager, uh, that code should always be written for single use. And then if we've discovered that it has uh, usefulness in many other places, then we should extract that code and at that point make it shareable. Because making it shareable too early just complicates the interface, just mm. complicates everything about building it. That's totally true. If you're building something and you're – so Dewey and myself and our awesome editor guy, Kyle, we all uh, spent a great deal of time learning Polymer and web components. And so, I mean, that the whole principle behind that, I mean, these are – ideally reusable components things that you can put everywhere but if you start building a component with the idea that it's going to be used in a lot of places i think you're going to slow yourself down because you're going to try to account for a lot of different use cases that eventually probably won't be necessary um i, I think you look a little bit past the mark uh so any component should just be super general when you first build it and then you can adapt it to your needs in the future but uh uh, there are definitely there is awesomeness in in reusable components and and I think you just have to you you got to know what you're writing you got to have a plan um but you'll see what happens as you as you go on so I think reusable code is definitely worth it I think you have to approach it the right way uh, because it can go horribly wrong like the question said uh kind of like Dewey was saying if you try to do way more with it in the beginning 
than you will ever intend to use it in the in the future. Yeah, I think that's the main takeaway, I think, should be that point. Code reuse is good. Uh, you know, <laughs> business logic that is uh, embedded in 50 different places all over your app is bad. That makes that code more prone to bugs. It's harder to update in a single place. It's harder to remember all of the moving pieces. So I think code reuse is useful. I would just caution against building shareable code out of the gate. Yeah, I think that's... I agree. (laughs) Okay, we've reached consensus. Uh, Let's ratify. This is the title Um, of the episode. Consensus? (laughs) All in favor? Uh, Aye. Aye. (laughs) Ah, the ayes have it. Nay. All right, all right. Next question. Who who read the last one? I read the last okay. one. Okay, that's so important that we alternate because if we don't, that shows a lack of um, insert word here. Okay, so the next question is ageism in tech. Oh, yeah, this is a good question for Dewey because I don't know how to answer it. So ageism in tech, will it still be a problem as our generation ages? And will programmers need to transition into management to survive? Take it away. I've got nothing. Um, yeah, this is this is an interesting question. I'm going to assume uh, on the part of the reader that uh, what they're talking about isn't necessarily uh, ageism, the idea that a company won't value you because of your age, regardless of your skill set, but more that... If you spend 20 years of your career learning uh, Java or C++ and then there's a sudden paradigm shift to the web and every job is in JavaScript, uh, that you'll have a hard time finding placement. Um, I think we're experiencing that uh, right now. I think there definitely is uh, this feeling of, and you even see this in like recruiting tactics, that you know, I'm a Java developer, or I'm a C++ developer, or a C developer, or Fortran, or <laughs> uh, you know, name anything. Right. And that leads to this idea of like, well, once you get older, you can no longer uh, learn a new trick, and you can no longer um, now get a job because the market has shifted so dramatically. Mm-hmm. I. Yeah, like I think it's still a thing. If you're uh, like us and you're approaching the ripe old age of uh, just over 30, <laughs> then you should definitely be thinking about your career in in terms of not I'm a React developer, not I'm a JavaScript developer, uh, not even really that I'm a web developer, but that you're a software engineer. Yeah. Uh, the principles of good front-end design, of good user experience, of good API design, of good algorithm design, of good database I.O., all of those principles are going to be the same across almost every language, especially now that uh, even languages like uh, C Sharp and Java, even uh, like C++, are having uh, better abstractions added to them. Um, you know, more services are taking away some of the extremely hard work. You should uh, you should think of yourself as 
a person who knows good UX principles and hmm. could apply those principles in any given situation. Yeah, today it's JavaScript or TypeScript, it's React yeah. or Angular. But tomorrow it could be in, you know, Windows Forms uh, 7.0 or something. Like maybe some new technology will emerge with WebAssembly and we'll now be writing web front ends using, uh, I don't know, Golang. So this is kind of a good callback to our previous episode. We talked a little bit about imposter syndrome. Uh, well, I guess that was the entire episode. Um, but if you are uh, a, a one one horse show, is that the uh, one trick pony? One one trick pony. Um, then when it comes time to learn something else, or you want to move jobs, and the requirements are different um, because you only have that one trick down, you're not going to feel too awesome about yourself and you shouldn't i mean no not that you shouldn't feel awesome <laughs> you shouldn't feel <laughs> you shouldn't feel incapable uh, like you're saying if you you should know uh principles and be able to apply it to different languages um yeah i think that's so for sure i think uh, it is this is a hard question for me because i'm looking at it i don't understand it <laughs> Uh, technology changes and requirements change, um, but w- what your skill should be is exactly what Dewey was saying. You don't want to be that. You, make sure you don't refer to yourself as an Angular developer, as a PHP developer. Just you're a developer. Um, so that way, as times change, technology changes, you can still adapt and apply principles that you've learned from other languages. Yeah, and your attitude towards it shows through in everything you do. Yeah. Um, uh, in the way you learn things. Uh, we recently had a meeting um, at work. Uh, we're moving to a different, um, not language, uh, framework, library. We're, we're, we're moving from where we're at. And the discussion came up about the pros and the cons. And I probably looked quite negative because I was not excited to move away from Polymer and web components. Uh, I was really enjoying that. And so I brought up a few comments about how, for me, I find uh, joy in working in the unknown. I think it's pretty fun when, honestly, you don't have a whole lot of documentation, when you have to step into the water and be the first to do that. Uh, I find that enjoyable. But I think attitude for sure can be seen in a developer who wants to just get stuck where they are and not grow and learn. Um, So will it still be a problem as our generation ages? Yeah, I think so. It will probably always be a problem. Yeah, I think it's definitely something you need to work, uh, watch out for. I think uh, we have maybe a little bit of advantage in that uh, the programming landscape, especially for front-end development, is moving so rapidly now yeah. that most of the skills we're learning are how to develop in a new framework, how to develop in a new uh, system lifecycle and deployment lifecycle. Um, so I think we have a little bit of advantage in the rate of change is sort of teaching us, baptizing us by fire uh, <laughs> to learn a new way. But yeah, it's definitely a thing uh, you got to watch out for. And no, you don't need to move into management. That's horrifying. Why would you say that? <laughs> uh, I mean, be a manager. If you want to manage people, if you feel like you're a developer that has grown skills that would help other developers, then yes, become a manager. We need you to be managers. 
But don't feel like you have to dive into management in order to save yourself from aging out. Just, you know, grow up and learn React or learn uh, whatever technology it is you need to learn to survive. Yeah, I've I've been on that the other side of that. I've had uh, multiple managers working for uh, different organizations. Um, some of them uh, did not handle the managing part as well as I would have liked, um, but were super good at programming. Uh, other ones were fantastic at uh, managing and maybe less fantastic at programming. Currently. I've got a manager who is pretty good at both, um, and I'm hoping to get some uh, brownie points if he listens to this. Not really. <laughs> but if you're going to be a manager, be a manager for the right reason. Yeah, agreed. Okay. This next All right, uh, Ben on that one. <laughs> okay. Ben as in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm reading the next one. Sure, sure. Man, this is sloppy. (laughs) It's the best kind. Mm -hmm. All right. uh, The best office environment for programming. Uh, Cubicle, open office, shared office, solo office, remote, etc. I've got got some strong feelings on this. I know Dewey does too. Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay, (laughs) you start. Um, So, let's see. I'm trying to think of... So I've had, and most of my experience has been in a, in in an open office, like not a not a shared office, not like one of those places where people from all over come and work at. I've worked in. Uh, I think we used to call it the bullpen. Eh, several of us just all sitting in a big open space at our machines. Uh, I have done that in all three of my last places of work. Uh, and for me, I think that's the greatest. And this might be because I'm, I'm a shorter guy. I'm 5'5". Five five. But now I work in a cubicle, and so it's not an open space. And so whenever I'm working and I start to feel some ADD, I have to stand up. <laughs> I have to look into people's cubes to see what they're doing, and then I get distracted and waste time. Uh, but when I had those those open offices, I could I could. This isn't about exercise or my health, <laughs> but I could just spin my chair around, see what everybody was doing, and then get right back to work. So I honestly, I really prefer the open space where everybody can see each other's screens and you can just spin your chair around. There's no standing involved. That is, I think that is the best. That I know that's ridiculous. I'm totally fine with standing, but I I love. I don't love cubicles. That's that's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm in a cube now too, and you know, sometimes uh, when I'm trying to like really focus hard on a task, it's nice to be in a space where uh, there's sort of a barrier to entry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, people don't accidentally make eye contact with me, and therefore <laughs> I just keep coding. But I find what happens is uh, I sit adjacent to what they call the supercube, a group of uh, 10 developers that all sit in sort of a bullpen situation. And what I what ends up happening is I will take my headphones off and overhear that they're in the middle of some important architectural discussion mm. that I either wanted to learn from or contribute to, and I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because nobody's going to go around and knock on all the cubicles surrounding the bullpen and say, by the way, we may have a good discussion in just a second. (laughs) You know, what happens is organically, two people in the bullpen uh, face each other and ask a question about whether we're going to use less or SAS. And that starts a discussion between the two developers and other people in the bullpen hear this discussion happening. And if they want to participate, they remove their headphones and they start participating. Mm -hmm. When you sit in a cubicle adjacent to that, there's this weird, uh, like a dissonance, uh, an actual disconnect uh, between what's actually happening. Because I never know if I should take the effort to leave my cube and walk over to the bullpen because maybe the conversation will fizzle out or I'll have to insert myself weirdly hmm. because I haven't actually been listening the whole time. So I definitely uh, like the idea of the super cube bullpen, uh, whatever we're going to call it. Yeah, yeah. I've been in an open office before. Uh, literally, like, everyone had a sit-to-stand desk, like a corner desk, but no walls anywhere. So the room held... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. What are they Probably like 40 developers, developers and QA, like 40 engineers. And it was just monitors and cords everywhere. And for a lot of things, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, You know, for a lot of reasons, it was sort of nice to be able to look out over the sea of everyone and see, you know, what groups were working or who was having a discussion or what was going on. But for the most part, it ended up just being that I could overhear people that weren't on my team or even working on the same product. Mm -hmm. So that was just distracting. Yeah, my team was also in that open space, but we felt like we couldn't have a good, you know, lively discussion because we'd be disturbing people who also shared that space. So I think you can make an office too open. Like, I think the bullpen has to have the right people in it to have good technical or product centered discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the most famous part of this question is remote. You, you want to, Oh you... man, I love re- remote work so much. It is, uh, it's the only reason I can do my job. <laughs> um, and, and this is what I'll say, uh, about that. Um, Today, we had a sick kid, uh, had a doctor's appointment, like, kind of in the morning. So I worked from home uh, so that the, the four-year-old could just uh, be in the house um, while I was working. Hmm. And honestly, sometimes it's just nice to be in a place where if someone wants to bug you, they have to do it through Slack. They have to formulate a good question and ask it uh, in a way that's clear. They can't just come into your cube and uh, ramble uh, and not really ever get to the point. I can agree with that for sure. I've had days when I worked remote because a family member was sick or something, uh, or I was sick. Um, And those have sometimes been the most productive days that I've had, I think for that reason. Uh, there's nobody around to distract me. I didn't have to uh, stand up out of my cube and look around at people to, you know, help my ADD. But for me, working remote, <laughs> despite the times that it's been super successful, 
is it's just not my favorite. And it might be my home setup. It might be uh, my uh, family. I, I don't know. I mean, I have my own office in our home, and I keep the door shut. But, man, often there are interruptions. It can just be so hard uh, to focus. I, I still try to get as much done as possible, uh, but remote is it's just not my favorite thing. I prefer having to, it's like, if I'm going to work today, I would like to make an effort. I, I don't like traffic. I don't like riding the train. But if I am actually making myself go somewhere, I feel way more committed to it and I've got more work to do. So it's, it's double-sided for me. Remote is good on good days, but remote is awful on awful days. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And I think it has a lot to do with the personality of the developer. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with uh, the position you're at in uh, your company and on your team. Um, I don't know that I would want to go uh, fully remote. It's something I've toyed with. Um, I've applied at a couple of companies that are fully remote. Um, but I'm not sure I would love it. I like the that's, that's in-office uh, camaraderie. I like the, yeah. you know, uh, talking about movies or uh, going to lunch. I like having some technical discussions in person because I think it's easier to uh, steamroll your point yeah. if you can be in person. Um, that being said, I think that the best teams function when there is a huge flexibility for remote work. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the idea that if there is somebody on the team that when they just need to write code, if it's better for them in their home office to just write code, then they should be able to do that. Yeah. Or if they need to be home with a sick kid or to get a fridge delivered or whatever that's going to be, they should be able to do that. Because the alternative is I think you lose people's productivity because they say, well, I'm just going to be late then. Or on this day, I'm just going to have to take a sick day. Yeah. I, like uh, many managers I've had, had the attitude of, I would rather you work a partial day from home than not work at all. So if you have a doctor's appointment, that's fine. Uh, If you can work from home in the morning before or work in the afternoon afterwards, that should be allowed because that gives you that flexibility to still squeeze in extra times to be productive. Otherwise, you lose, you know, whole days to some of these activities. Totes. I totally agree. Um, that's pretty good. I think we... Uh, I, I, go ahead. I have, one, I have one more piece of advice for remote work, and that is that if you're going to work remote in any uh, semi-permanent capacity that you should put uh, some dollar bills behind it. I think it's worth buying a good chair and a keyboard that you like, buying a a mouse and a monitor that you like. Um, Invest some money in your home office. Don't code on your couch. Uh, There's nothing wrong with coding from your couch occasionally to mix it up or for a change of scenery. But if your manager asks to see a picture of your home office... When you show them that picture, your manager should say, wow, I see why you would want to work from home. Mm. That's how good your setup should be. I'll follow on uh, with you. With, if you're going to have, if you are going to work from home, and I guess it depends on who you are, 
for me, it's got to be super clean. The office has to be, like, ridiculously clean. And that's really hard since, I mean, it's it's my home and my family uh, uses the office as well. We've got some of my son's toys in here. Um, I have a huge nine-foot Ikea desk with only one computer on it, so my wife often uh, will take care of uh, uh, bills and other things. And so there's always papers and stuff laying around on my desk. But the first thing I do when I work remote is clear off the desk and make it super clean because I cannot focus when the office is is messy. And that and that's probably just me. I don't know. I think a clean office is, is super important. Also, weird thing about me is I when I work remote, I have to wear shoes. <laughs> I don't wear shoes in my house on the carpet, but when I'm working remote, I make sure I'm wearing shoes because that makes me feel like I'm a productive individual in the society that we live in. Yeah, I think that's. I think these are all good. I think remote work uh, depends on the individual, depends on your circumstance. But if you're going to do it, I think uh, you know, getting up, showering, getting ready, uh, yeah, 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 having real breakfast. I think there's a tendency to just like roll out of bed, roll onto your laptop, and start writing code. Um, and that can sometimes just uh, it's bad for your mental health. Yeah. Uh, so make sure when you're working remote that you work like it's your job, mm-hmm. just at home. So, I think that's uh, if you don't if you don't have anything else, I think that's that's pretty good. Did we answer everything that we wanted to answer? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's great. I'm glad we could do this. I definitely want to do this again. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I think we will. I think we'll uh, on detachedhead.net. We'll have a. A blog post with a, a link to the form in the future so you can submit your questions. We did it a little bit uh, ragtag this time. Um, but next time we'll have, a, I think, a more streamlined way and maybe we'll get some more questions in there. Uh, there's one question we didn't get to about closures in JavaScript. Um, we definitely want to answer it, but it's uh, it's definitely more of a blog post type thing. Uh, so look for that at detachedhead.net. Uh, one of us will take some time to write up a, a little code snippet and a little explanation about JavaScript closures Yeah, uh, we'll have, that should be able to help you. We'll have some show notes uh, also on the website for this episode, including that hilarious XKCD comic. Um, but yeah, uh, so from middle California, apparently, this is from where we're doing it today. Uh, this is Detached Head. Uh, Kyle is our editor. He is like when you find that missing, I was going to say $100 bill in a pair of pants, but that's really high. He's, he's more like when you find like a candy bar in your pantry. It's just really old. <laughs> uh, no, Kyle is the greatest. We, we, he, he takes care of all of this stuff for us. We appreciate him. So check out uh, detachedhead.net for the show notes, and we will see you guys next time. Done forever? Done forever. <laughs>